If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey folks, um, before we kick this whole shebang off, uh, we're just going to do a usual kind of, can we have a bit of money please thing. Hang on, I'm going to make audience noises in the background to give this a live feel, this cash <laughs> <laughs> You put loads of reverb in my voice, so I'm like in a big arena. Judas! <laughs> yeah look, I mean, all you guys have been really, really great to us, um, but our pals, or my pals, who are named Christopher Tusak and David John Weaver, are both Yay. still in uh, and it's... You suck! Yeah, they're awesome, the crowd, ignore the crowd, ignore the crowd, they're wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, anything you can give us to kind of help us, you know, make this sustainable, uh, and, and when I say sustainable, I mean, you know, pay for itself, that would be really appreciated. Um, We've been quite fortunate recently. I can't believe we're still doing this. We've been really fortunate recently, and we've we've, uh, we've obtained a fair amount of subscribers. So, um, if you could add to that, that'd be awesome. Um, you go to patreon.com forward slash unsungpod. But I mean, like all live versions, that was kind of shit, but yeah, it's live, so <laughs> I don't even have to edit it. I've also had like, my bike next, so you? if you give me some money for that, that'd be, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, Mark's, Mark's fallen on hard times. <laughs> But yeah, um, patreon.com forward slash unsungpod, you can see all of the cool things we have available. We actually, we have very few subscribers in the category of $50 a month, but one of them, and there's a handful, but one of them is going to get their very special, very own, unique, one-of-a-kind, one personalised episodes in the coming weeks. Um, so if that's something that interests you, you can donate that amount of money, even if it's just once. Um, that's just one example of some of the things that we have on offer. So please, go and have a wee look. And if you can, shout us a wee bit of cash, even if it's just for a pint. Cheers. Thanks. Are you drinking wine, David? I am drinking wine. Oh, there you are, folks. Hi, how you doing? You're just chatting. You're just chatting there about laptops and noticed that Dave's drinking wine. Well, um, I mean, what else is there to do in these times? Totally, yeah. yeah. Make memes. Yeah. Make memes. Make memes. Steal Drink bikes. Wine. Um, how you all been? Oh, I've had a few shanner for a week, mate. Um, <laughs> Did you get your bike nicked? Mark? Part of getting my bike nicked, uh, literally about two hours before recording this, I had a, a confrontation with a, a racist white man in Lidl, um, which is which is really great. I'm wearing my Make Racist Wear Milkshake Again t-shirt, which is uh, 
you know, racism's bad, right? Obviously, but I bought this t-shirt because I thought it was funny because what was happening. Controversial at the time, opinion, yeah. What was happening at the time <laughs> was really funny, and it's a B Dolan t-shirt, and I love B Dolan. Uh, this, this this random guy just like he's like, "What does your t-shirt say?" And I was like, "It says make racist swear milkshake again." He's like, I thought all lives mattered, and I was like, oh fuck, here we go. Oh, no. So I hit him with the analogy you've probably seen online, you know, about like how if there's a house on fire, you kind of put the house out. You don't like put out put water on every single house in the block because all houses matter. You kind of deal with the problem and um, <laughs> so it doesn't spread. Uh, I don't know if I explained it particularly well, but then I decided to pivot to say that uh, the SNP will never give never give us free speech um, randomly, just complete non sequitur, like out of fucking nowhere, and then. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, continue to talk about how a small government is a good thing and that people should always work for everything and they shouldn't be supported by the state, which obviously I disagreed with as well. And then he saw I am pretty sure I've been trolling that guy online. <laughs> you probably have. <laughs> see, <laughs> see part of the Glasgow 5G group. <laughs> Do you know, Dave, I finally got my marching orders, man. I got punted off that. I'm amazed it so, took them so long. What they don't know is that I'm still on that under <laughs> a secondary account, just biding my time. Fuck. Oh my lord Funnily enough by the way One of the other people That got kicked off The 5G thing Who I happen to know He did a research And he found that Identical 5G site, uh, Groups have sprung up In virtually every other town So I'm from Stirling And he found one There's one with the same name Same graphics In Stirling Set up by these Strange accounts And then they've invited A couple of locals on To sort of curate it And give it legitimacy mm-hmm. So it's, it's amazing to see that foreign interference thing playing out in that way because that's what they do they do yeah. that and then they set up those stupid protests that we had at Glasgow Green and that's their way of just destabilising things especially setting Absolutely. them up on the same days as counter protests like the one today did you see the one today well that's interesting because tonight we've got an anti-asylum seeker eviction protest or it was due to happen and remarkably coincidentally uh, one of the far right groups has happened to arrange a George Square protest just to try and put themselves face to face with that and that's been happening quite a lot you know I have to say actually there's like every cloud has a silver lining because for about the last two weeks as a, a cis white male I've been kind of hating myself a wee bit you know you start to get really switched on again to the the history of your town and you know obviously it's something that has to be of george square (laughs) (laughs) but but it's always it's always nice to remind yourself you know when you see some sdl edl group um camp like marching in george square shouting all kinds of like full-on obscenities at ethnic minorities and chasing people with bats that you know, don't hate yourself too much, you know. There are people that are really, really worth hating that are not you. <laughs> and don't, don't expend all that energy thinking you're a piece of shit. You're not. Yeah. Um, we've all got hate, stuff to learn. Hate the racist, yeah. not yourself. That's a- exactly. There's so many people that are genuinely a huge part of the problem and we can all be part of the solution. But there's, I mean, yeah. So I've, I've got a renewed vigour when it comes to uh, redirecting my, my loading. Um, so I feel good. Feel good about that. Feel positive. The reason I brought up the thing today is because I was literally just seen on Twitter before I came on to record that like you can see them like the police, oh, sort of these far right goons, like Russian police lines and attacking these. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm pretty sure some of these people are anti who are there to kind of help protect the rally or, or you know to assist in the rally or just because they believe that you know it's the right thing to you know give more rights and more freedom to asylum seekers because they're coming from horrible places and then just like fucking shouting like sectarian I'm saying as well oh what the fuck like obviously in Glasgow that is not I mean I don't want it wait, wait a minute sorry can I just clarify are you are you curious why the counter protesters are shouting sectarian obscenities at the anti-asylum eviction people no I was going to say like in Glasgow it's pretty obvious as to why they'd be doing that um, so like yeah well just to, just to explain for yeah, the listeners without, yeah. without being too direct there's definitely an, it, like, Scotland's actually we've said it before quite progressive quite liberal and without being too explicit there's definitely a subset of the culture that has a bias towards the right towards the empire towards uh, sort of negative opinions when it comes to asylum and immigration so that plays out a lot here and it's quite consistent in its uh, demographic well at least to to my perceptions clearly yeah but very much so and uh, 
nothing is. Was that ta- was that tactful? That was, I that was yeah. Tactful. I was going to, I was going to like go down a slightly less tactful route. So I'm glad you did it. I, I always gauge I gauge my tact based on Dave's facial expressions. That's why when Dave's signal's not working, I'm really worried that I'm going to land is not working. Oh shit! No. no, that was that was very tactful. Yeah, it? I actually have some fans, uh, some friends who are obviously fans of the of the football club that you're referring to there, Chris. Who are abhorred by this whole thing as well because some of, of course, them, some of, course. of them saying what makes it so hard. Some of my best friends. Yeah. Are, but unfortunately, it's got a. Some of my best friends are Huns. <laughs> exactly, I've got I've, I've got a non-white friend, so I can't be racist. <laughs> I can't be sectarian. I know a guy that likes a certain football team. Anyway, so how about the podcast? We decided we we're going to do a mixtape yeah. this week. Uh, we thought we've done a lot of albums this year. We've been pretty. Straight. I mean, the circumstances have kind of broken up our flow that we'd sort of established last year. But we're like, we've not done a mixtape in a while. What's a good mixtape? And I think we'd sort of accidentally been talking about this subject. Uh, I don't know, I think we were just shooting the shit one day and we were kind of trading good examples of it. We were like, we should do a mixtape that is live albums, Mm -hmm. uh, best or most underrated live albums, not best live albums, because that is distinctly different from a remit. Um, But yeah, most underrated live albums. And And it certainly, it goes you know, it's been three and a half months since any of us saw live music, so it's the next best Hell, thing yes, to actually see a gig. Well, yeah, I mean, live music in the flesh. We've seen some. I've seen. I don't know about you. I've seen more than enough <laughs> bedroom I, sessions. I've, I've not watched any, so I'm feeling <laughs> pretty fresh, to be honest. Um, I have also seen some really, really good stuff, though. Obviously, yeah. in that time, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to start picking at favourites, but there have been some great exceptions to that rule. But it's definitely been a, an era of. Unfiltered home broadcasts. Yep, uh, and it makes you re- for good and bad. It makes you really appreciate a good live band. <laughs> and it makes you really appreciate tastemakers and yeah, quality exactly. control. <laughs> Pining for the old days, so the gatekeepers. Um, yeah, so uh, the most unsung. We'll have to, you know, we'll have to sometime we cobble together a decent functioning title for this episode it's what, not live and not very dangerous <laughs> what, what <we're> gonna call. <laughs> um, but uh, basically yeah most unsung live albums not live not tonight <laughs> not a sold out <laughs> <laughs> live tonight shut in um, <laughs> I was kind of trying to sort of cover our bases here by by pointing out some of the obvious things of you the further you go back in that music for a, for the majority of music's history music only existed in live format mm-hmm. so what we are actually talking about is probably to some extent the sort of norm is live full live performance without augmentation the entire studio culture and certainly the culture of overdubbing didn't become popular until, well, I mean, 90s. well into the 50s. Oh, I suppose. Well yeah. into the 50s. I thought you meant, like, for dubbing live records, but I suppose that's probably... No, no, I mean, I mean, even back then, so, I mean, obviously we have to kind of uh, cover our bases here and say there are certain categories and styles that are going to be biased towards that. I mean, as I say, all music to begin with was live. It was, like... Orchestras and you Gregorian know Gregorian chanting, yeah, chants. Gregorian chanting yeah. and people playing percussion, tribal music, folk music played in all manner of like hodgepodge bespoke uh, instruments. Um, I mean, in terms of like the kind of fairly modern sense, Dave, when we were talking about this beforehand, you made the point that you're right. There are certain uh, genres, jazz being a very, very, very key one, where I would say the majority of it is live. The vast, vast, vast majority. Um, and in with that, you've got stuff like classical, a lot of like world and trad music, uh, folk music, and I think what you're really talking about there uh, is like where players are conducted or reacting to each other. And that that goes all the way up to a, a lot of the funk stuff, mm-hmm. where people have to be in the groove with each other in real time. A groove is a very, very hard thing to, to replicate over uh, in an overdub session, in a multi-tracked session. It's really... I mean, there are people that can do it. I mean, bands like Rage Against Machine have made a great job at it, and as have, you know, decades of uh, Motown artists and things like mm-hmm. that. But... Uh, there are definitely some genres where a live record is the norm, and those are the norm. And so, for the purposes of what we're doing, to try and sort of delineate it a wee bit, we're kind of talking about rock, pop, hip hop, electro, sort of fairly modern styles of music where multi-tracking is the norm, uh, as opposed to the, the the opposite, and therefore. A live album's actually more of an unusual thing. Um, I would also say that even out of the modern ones, I mean, I've already said, like, blues stuff and, like, the old Sun records were, like, 
Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis and stuff that that sort of one microphone or two microphones hanging in a room as the artist played that early on was the norm of doing it later on some of those artists got into multi-tracking Johnny Cash obviously at the end of his career was multi-tracking like crazy um, I think modern genres that, that do mostly live stuff like experimental noise uh, improv stuff uh, a lot of DJ sets a lot of like techno albums or like live mixes uh, and I'd also say bands like stoner rock bands uh, stoner is a, ca- a category stoner and funk in fact like parliament and those kind of bands it, it, it can it, the bands have to be locked in with each other they have to respond to each other and really what you're hearing is the the musicians working as a whole rather than just hearing a whole load of like individual tracks mm. so just to get all of that out the road there are I mean to be honest when you think about it the number of live albums to non-live albums is the ratio is actually probably the opposite of what you'd expect. Live albums are probably far more prevalent, but we're trying to focus on live in the environs of multi-track music. Okay, so that's that out of the way. That's my disclaimer. That's covered. Hmm. <laughs> um, in terms of live albums, do, I mean, do you want to just put our cards on the table and see the ones we chose, and then we'll kind of cycle back around? To yeah, yeah. We can talk about the ones we yeah. didn't choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, f- fuck you. I don't really see the point in live albums because I tried to think of live albums that I actually listen to and there are hardly any actually and I was like do you know what the genre that really needs to be live and you know the reason for it existing is jazz so I went for uh, Miles Davis and I went for Agharta It's way down the list on like his best of records. It's definitely divisive, um, but I mean, it's so live and it's so jazz. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but it's also really influential on non-jazz uh, musicians and artists as well. So um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to cover that because I, I wasn't familiar with it, but what you're saying right there about how influential it was marked a turning point in his career or it was part of a turning point in his career and yeah it was a really really interesting listen Um, and yeah it comes from the jazz world where the majority of things are performed live but it's definitely noteworthy in the unorthodox nature of it especially within his canon so that was was a really interesting choice Mark I guess I'm next then because I'm 95 Mm -hmm. yeah so I went like, I'm going to go through the different categories of live album. Um, yeah, because we didn't define sense. this, so I was surprised when I listened to yours because yeah, it yeah. wasn't what I was expecting. So, <laughs> I want to put, like, make clear, this is not my favourite live album. Actually, I'm, the, I'm different for David. I've actually found quite a few live albums that I really enjoy, especially now that I've had to consider what, which were live and which were sort of quasi-live. Um, but the album Mirrorball by Neil Young is a live album. It was recorded uh, across four days live in the studio with Pearl Jam as his backing band. Let's be honest, I've never got, we're never going to pick Pearl Jam for another uh, episode of this show. They're a band that I did have a soft spot for at times, but they're also dead stodgy and a bit of an idol, and it's very unlikely they'll make the cut unless somebody comes on here and nominates them. But I do actually think this is a really, really good combination of Neil Young's sort of slightly more old-fashioned sensibilities and their just cohesion as a band that's been quite a consistent group of people for a very, very long time, and they have a very good chemistry. Uh, and as I say, it's not my favourite, but I think I'll, I'll go into the, the details of the qualities of it, but I think it really works. Um, and I'll also, before we, later on in the episode, before we actually start going through the records, I'll I'll drop a couple of names of other ones that I did consider. And I, I kind of, I'm kind of like Dave, like I, I, I was struggling to really think of live albums that um, I actually listened to a lot and have enjoyed. Um, there were some that came to mind. Originally, I kind of picked this one half as a joke, and having sat with it for a bit and then did a bit of research into uh, the man I'm kind of regretting my choice now uh, but with that see I, I, think that's, I think that's a shame because I'd, I wasn't sure how sincere you were with the choice at first and then as soon as I listened to it I was like fucking hell I was really impressed with it yeah. and also it, it did speak to a kind of like guilty pleasure part of me that was like that, yeah I bought one of the first purchases I ever made 
was one of this guy's really early singles and it did sort of take me back and be like, God, man, some of this is pretty great and the performances in the, on your choice are uncannily good. I mean, I, I, as you know, we went back and forth for days. I was like, Mark, this can't be live. This must be over. Well, it can't be all live. It must be overdubbed. We'll talk about that phenomenon soon. And it turns out, no, it's completely live. And that is truly impressive because it's incredibly well played. But the reason I did pick it is because it is very, it is a very good record. Um, it's, it is, you want yeah, to see what so it is? It's the last tour on earth by Mar- last tour on earth by Marlon Manson. This is definitely amongst some of the first records that I ever owned, um, so there is a little bit of nostalgia for me. But honestly, in, in the time I've been a fan, and it does speak to what you just said there, Chris. Like there are very few live live records that sound this fucking good, and that was a defining factor for me. Some of my favourite bands have live albums uh, that just don't sound anywhere near as good as this. And we'll ex- we'll talk about why that is this good. You know, Dave kind of touched upon it when we, we chatted, chatted about it before. You know, we'll kind of dive into that. But it's it's Marlon Manson at the peak of his power. Uh, and also, Columbine happened in the middle of the, of the recording on this tour as well. You know what I mean? So oh, really? Yeah, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But it's a really interesting period in his career too. So, yeah. And I don't think we'll ever talk about him ever again and there'll be a good, there's a good reason why I think we should not, probably not talk about him ever again after this episode and I'll, I'll talk about that too Deplatformed, is it because he's at George Square the night waving a <laughs> Union Jack a bit? Yeah, it's because he likes to torture women <laughs> Okay, so I think in terms of live albums we should kind of isolate a few different subcategories and maybe throw in a few examples to illustrate to people right? The first category We'll, we'll go into is probably what intuitively seems the most obvious, which is a full live show. Uh, you know, full live concert, start to finish. But you know what? That's actually surprisingly rare very. within within live releases. Um, to give some very very prominent examples of it, I think uh, one that came up a lot was "It's Alive" by the Ramones. Recording in 77 in London um, Full of energy And just the, the band had so many tunes as well That they were able to do that start to finish um, I think, now I don't actually know the year it was released But August 92 Nirvana's Live at Reading Which did eventually come out on Geffen Records After, I mean, decades of being Like a very, very highly rated bootleg mm-hmm. I mean, I saw that. I saw that when I was about what, 14, 13, 14 and it's a tremendous performance, yeah, start to finish. Is. It just shows like a great band. Uh, you've got uh, "Band of Gypsies" by Hendrix, which was recorded in New York City in 1970. Untouched, full uh, full session. One that kind of counts is uh, "Live After Death" by Iron Maiden, sort of. Um, I believe that uh, the video of Live After Death is is kind of culled from across two nights, mm-hmm. but the LP is just from the one night, plus the end of the LP there's like some bonus tracks that are from a different uh, show. But by and large, the LP version of that is just a full show, and again, it's pretty astonishing. Iron um, Maiden also did uh, Rock well, and yeah, Rio, which that. was from their huge uh, Copacabana Beach. Yep. Yeah. And Iron Maiden, like, live... Albums have always been quite a big thing for them, yeah, because they're so good. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're just so good at playing, and that's such a that's you get found out so much in that content. I mean, it's a really bold thing to do to go untouched. I mean, there's some absolute legends here that we're going to talk about that that didn't have the guts to do yeah. that. Yeah, uh, Rage Against the Machines um, live at Olympic Auditorium. Which is 
like one of the last ever shows before they broke up the first time. Um, tremendous yeah. live record. DVD's awesome as well. Completely untouched, you know, like start to finish. Yeah, another another band with just a peerless like reputation mm-hmm. for the performance level. Um, a really interesting one, I think, is uh, Bob Dylan's Royal Albert Hall concert in Bertie Commons. Mm-hmm. I didn't realise this. Uh, this that that show actually was filmed. What, what was the, the venue called? It's like Manchester Free Trade Hall. Starting to do with the Royal Albert <laughs> Hall. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, that's why the inverted commas are on the title. But uh, yeah, one night, and that is the infamous release where he, he started shifting to the electric direction, and he got, there's the heckle in the middle of it, Judas. I don't believe you. Uh, super famous. We'll, we'll talk about that a bit later. That didn't actually come out until 1998, and it's one of the most famous bootleg albums of all time, back when bootlegging was a thing before the internet. Um, another good example of this, in fact, two good examples of this are Lou Reed. He had an album called Rock and Roll Animal, but he also had an album called uh, Lou Reed Live that came out sometime later. And uh, literally both of those albums came from the same concert on the same night. One of them was, I think, was it like a first set and a second set, or was it just split in half? I can't remember the details of it. But basically, uh, Rock and Roll Animals released first, and then there was so much good material that they decided to hell with it. We'll just release Lurid Live from the exact same set, which that's a... That's credit to Lou Reed and that man. Like <laughs> <laughs> he could play, even though actually that uh, those albums were sort of kind of got slightly lukewarm reviews because the people felt they were getting a bit rock and roll and a bit pedestrian yeah. compared to the stuff that he was kind of known for. And the last one I'd say in that category is the album Pig Pile by Big Black. The Big Black, very caustic band, really famous live performances, very intense. Uh, they did a concert in 1987 that didn't come out until 1992, but Pig Pile, I think, is one of their best-known records. It's not their best record, it'll probably be songs about fucking, but uh, it's got some really, really strong versions of things on it. I just want to mention uh, ACDC, if you want blood, you've got it. Which uh, is the only ACDC record I've ever owned Because you don't need to own more than one uh, It was actually <laughs> recorded Absolutely. in uh, Glasgow's Apollo uh, Back in 1978 And it was, it was with Bon Scott And that's one record that oh, I just find ACDC tedious But that record captures them in the moment and is actually really fun, and it's also kind of a best of as well. Yeah, well, a best of of their er- earlier stuff, and that that is a great absolutely record. I really enjoy it. Totally works, man. You're right. Um, we've, what we've actually done is some of the regulars, people that get a mention on the show semi often. Uh, I, I kind of took a straw poll of some of them, so the likes of Anna and Rick and people like that, and they've they've sent in some suggestions, and one of them has picked that. Uh, so we'll kind of touch on that very briefly before we do the albums. Um, yeah, so another format, and we'll kind of split this into like A and B, would be like a live tour album. So there are live tour albums which are like taken from across maybe two or three or four nights, uh, like short runs. So the likes of Metallic KO by Stooges was, was reco- uh, taken, the final album is taken from across two shows. Uh, you've got Under a Blood Red Sky by U2 that was taken from across three shows you get got Folsom Prison by Johnny Cash that was actually taken across two nights uh, and one that's a real favourite of people and I think David mentioned this is uh, Stop Making Sense by Talking Heads
which was taken from across four nights uh, uh, during the tour in 1983. Which also goes hand in hand with something else, which is the concert movie. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, and they kind of changed the game in terms of concert movie because they yep. they made it performance art. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, you can't say that that's underrated though because uh, it's no, not totally rated correctly. Interestingly, yeah, and again, when I started taking that straw poll later, like so many people said, stop making sense because it's such a good example of a live album. I mean, uh, you can hit this but hit the buzzer here, Chris, but the concert movie thing. Oh. Was, uh, <laughs> Prince, Prince did release some of the live records, but one of the most famous was uh, Sign of the Times, which was a movie that was filmed in Paisley Park, which kind of had a loose narrative, but it's an entire live concert on 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 uh, yeah. like recorded from start to finish. That's a pretty cool thing. Well, do you know what you talked about? You two, Blood Red Sky, and um, funnily enough, I totally forgot. I think I must, my parents must have taped it off TV, but uh, Rattle and Hum by U2 which was the like the movie of them touring the Joshua Tree uh, in the late 80s and it's like it's beautifully done in black and white on film and you're just capturing Bono on full ego mode (laughs) total messiah complex but there's a bit where they go and jam with BB King backstage and stuff like that and as much as U2 are shite it's a really interesting watch seeing a live band that are they're probably the biggest band that have existed in the last 30 years at that stage yeah I would like I would like kudos for not nominating Cindy Loper's Live mm-hmm. in Paris, which is probably my most watched VHS <laughs> of uh, my t- my early teens. In this category, you can also chuck in uh, Bruce Springsteen's got a lot of them, but the one that I like is uh, Live in New York City. Put on your best dress, baby. Darling, fix your Just taking across to a nice in Madison Square Garden uh-huh. has some truly awesome, like full band performances of of Nebraska songs, some incredible reworkings of some of his better '80s stuff as well, and some of the early '90s stuff too. Um, it's a bit patchy in places because you know it's a two and it's almost a three hour show, so a lot of the songs are going to go on for fucking ever because it's Bruce Springsteen. Three hours is quite restrained for Bruce. Yeah, well, they, I mean, <laughs> you can say that. Um, I've, I've seen him twice. And that means I've seen seven hours of Bruce Springsteen live. <laughs> and and all phenomenal much this is actually worth talking about with Bruce is like his Hang on man, don't 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 tread all over me. Are you gonna start talking about seventy five to eight? No, I was actually gonna talk about uh, the Netflix Broadway show that he did. I don't actually know if it was taken over different... I mean, I don't know if it was recorded over many different nights, but it's just him on stage telling a story and playing songs and they're all different versions of it. That kind of falls into the concert film category as well, even though it was like a stage show. I think it ran for like almost a year. Um, and it's just him playing tunes and talking about his life. Okay, he's definitely going to come back. Um, the next sort of subdivision of this one, though, would be the tour album Across the Full mm-hmm. Tour, as opposed to just a few nights. Uh, one of these, which I was actually surprised I didn't realise that this is where it came from, was Live Killers by Queen, the 79. kind of like chosen from shows across their full European tour and actually like I didn't realise as well how badly received the album was it's, it's really strange um, for a single event show as well Queen have got the Live at Wembley concert which talking about tour videos man that is just hair raisingly good Queen live at Wembley is astonishing. Like the, the entire band, but Freddie in particular, are just unbelievable. An interesting one for you, Mark. Uh, live hardcore worldwide by KRS One, Biggie Down Productions. It's a really, really good long sort of best of live hip hop yeah. record it's really worth checking out I think it was actually it wasn't a long tour it was only like three dates it was like London, Paris and New York City in like 1991 maybe but it, it counted as the full mm-hmm. tour uh, a full tour one which is a, an absolute classic 
is No Sleep Till Hammersmith by Motorhead. Um, from the Pain in the Neck Tour 1981 by the way did you know the Pain in the Neck Tour was because Phil Taylor got dropped in his head during some after show antics and I think he fractured one of his vertebrae (laughs) or something like that but that that album apart from one tune which I don't know when it dates from is uh, taken from across that tour and all the things you guys were saying earlier on including the likes of Prince including the likes of Nirvana the one thing live albums do is they they separate the wheat from the chaff in terms of bands that can play Mm -hmm. and Motorhead's most successful album is No Sleep Till Hammersmith it debuted at number one Mm. And I think the reason for that is because they were such a phenomenally good band live. They were a live experience. I mean, I think they were, well, like they're they're one of those bands where the object of recording an album is to capture their live essence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's argued that although they got close, they never quite got there, which is why this album and mm-hmm. some of the versions of tracks on this album in particular are so highly rated. It's really, really good. The tones are ferocious and there's some brilliant, brilliant, brilliant live renditions of stuff. Just so much energy in that band. And it, it just it shows off their abilities amazingly. Now, another one I'll add, and then I added it, and it's going to pop up later, is Alive by Kiss <laughs> from 1975. Now, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, right? So, ostensibly, this is from four nights, but spread four nights that were chosen from two months of the tour. So... The album's assembled from four nights worth of material, but I think they were picked from a wider variety just based on sound and performance and energy and stuff like that, right? But that album's going to pop up in another category because I found something out Mm -hmm. about it. Um, A further category uh, away from uh, the live tour album is the Lifetime Collection. So you talked about Bruce Springsteen. uh, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, 75 to 85, is... Well, it's not a lifetime collection, it's certainly... A large chunk. A large chunk of time mm-hmm. trying to illustrate, if not the full career, a large period in a career. A really good example of this, I would argue as well, is Banks of the Muddy Wishka by Nirvana, mm-hmm. the kind of posthumous release that came out, which is just takes live stuff from very early and very late on in the band's career, captures all the different iterations of the group. Yeah, different levels of performance as well as a couple of tracks that are hard to get and other things and really shows I think what a punk band it actually was as opposed to a grunge band um, so the Lifetime Collection there's some, there's some good examples of that I didn't note down the Converge one Thousands of Mile Between Us is really good the live video mm-hmm. collection um, just taking from all over their career um, lots of different yeah, con- content from that it's really good also a really good live botch uh, video collection a DVD of their last ever show which is very emotional at the end as well very very emotional in the end where we are the Romans and yeah brilliant brilliant watch uh, now here's where Kiss reappear mm-hmm. and this is a very sketchy category live but with studio overdubs <laughs> right <laughs> now Alive by Kiss was marketed as a live album except it's very strongly suggested that the only live ingredient on it are Peter, uh, is Peter Chris's drums are Peter Chris's drums? Is are whatever, um, and that the other guys were clearly quite insecure about the performances and went back and redubbed them, uh, but still passed it off as being a live album. Yeah. Now, knowing Kiss, I'm under no illusions here, right? Kiss would definitely do something like that, right? And I absolutely am ready to believe that that's the the case we're live. Uh, probably the most famous example of this, I think, Stin Lizzy's "Live and Dangerous." And I was at a party once where uh, two friends of the pod got into, I would say, politely describe it as quite a heated argument um, about whether Live and Dangerous was indeed Live and Dangerous 
or was in fact not live and really not very dangerous <laughs> at all. And I mean, it's one of those conversations that went on so long that people really wanted to go him. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely folk, but they felt very strongly about it. I will say it's a fucking excellent album. It is really good, but with the knowledge that Line It especially overdubbed so much, it, it leaves you a little bit shortchanged. Julius this isn't technically a live album. There's a lot of cover in here. Um, somebody that was really big in that was Neil Young. He was known for doing that in the Rust Never Sleeps album, which was actually drawn from across a couple of years' worth of shows as well. That's full of overdubs too. As was, and I was surprised to find this out, as was a lot of the Zappa stuff, Frank Zappa stuff from the 70s and 80s. Mm. I think Frank Zappa's problem, if I'm being honest, incredible musician. And I'd, I would suggest that the live shows are probably of the highest quality, but he was such a perfectionist. He was so obsessive and neurotic about his music that even that wasn't mm-hmm. good enough for him, so he ended up overdubbing on many of those albums. And I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like a live album with overdubs is... Disappointing. Well, Marlon Manson has definitely got some of that. I mean, uh, Dave, was it not you were saying that the, the one he did before, the, the, the one Dead to the World tour, one like Superstar, that, was, that had overdubs on it? I'd, yeah, I think so. But also the one he did after the one I picked, which is Guns, God, and Government. <laughs> His vocals are completely overdubbed, and if you watch this, it was a live concert DVD taken from one night. You can tell, like, it's so fucking obvious that his vocals are completely yeah. out of place from the rest of the music. But I just assumed the one you'd picked, The Last Two on Earth, fell into this category. So it, it does get, as I said, extra kudos because when, when I found out it didn't, I was really impressed with it. Um, and just the last category I would say would be live studio albums. Now, Here's a fucking cool fact. Most of the Van Halen early stuff was a live studio recording. That's unbelievable. Van Halen were a live band. It was all about separation. You know, everybody playing in different rooms, but they're all watching each other playing. Instruments are tend to be isolated by things like baffle boards and that uh, to try and dull mm-hmm. the amount of bleed mm-hmm. that goes into microphones and other instruments. Even to the point where the for people that haven't worked in music, the drums you'll have little carefully placed slices of sound absorption foam between the hats and the snare mic and all these. It's very very precise. You have to make sure the drummer's not going to hit them and stuff. But it's a really careful process. But if you do it right, you can get some amazing results. And Van Halen were a, a great example of that. Um, Deep Purple's Machine Head album, mostly, it does have some overdubs on it, but the vast majority of the album was was performed live. The band set up at the end of this big hallway in this building and just jammed through the records. Uh, A lot of it was just the first take, because they they got the groove. That's it. We've nailed it, and then we'll just add a couple of wee bits here and there to try and give it a bit more body. Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, uh, performed live, just completely flew through it. have a lot of recording budget at that time you know and a lot of bands who are in that situation where the budget's low just have to go for this option because they've maybe only got a day or two and another perfect example of that would be Bleach by Nirvana Instrumentally was performed live The vocals were overdubbed by Cobain For obvious reasons Because clearly the, the vocal microphone Would pick up 
an unbelievable amount of racket from the room. But in terms of the instrumental performances, they were they were recorded uh, live. In fact, that album was mixed in ten hours as well. The budget for it was six hundred and six dollars, <laughs> so they had no other choice but to do that. Um, and I guess one thing we're just overlooking a wee bit, which kind of comes under the the category of live studio albums, albeit with the world's best engineers and the highest production budget going, are things like the unplugged sessions yeah. and boiler room, where you have a custom built setup remote studios basically uh, recording these live shows but within that those categories there are some exceptional performances we spoke about Lubomir Melnik mm-hmm. uh, he's got a boiler room performance that's excellent and I think to me okay they're both grunge but the two outstanding unplugged performances were Alison Chains and Nirvana Yeah. And of course you got MTV Unplugged with Korn I was, going, I was just is, going to mention that <laughs> The great uh, cornerstones of culture Something takes a part of me Something lost and never seen Every time I start to believe Something's raped and taken from me I was just worried about saying that too early Because where do you go from there? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the the unplugged sessions are distinct because they are, whilst they are, yes, they are live, there's a hell of a lot of resources put into them, but yeah, impressive results. So uh, yeah, I mean, it, as I said, I mentioned a couple of friends of the pod had offered some suggestions of good stuff. Uh, Anna Goldthorpe had got in touch to say uh, Gino, Gino Washington and the Ram Jam Band. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Gino Washington and the Ram Jam Band. No. Yeah, they actually like played a- in mono not long ago. She's on meeting high 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 I say I wouldn't be shot of a time Yeah, they're still going, which is incredible because I don't know what age Gino Washington is, but he's getting up there. Um to give you some sort of hint of how big an influence they were, Dexy's Midnight Runners uh, number one hit Gino is a tribute to Gino mm-hmm. Washington. They were a sort of soul R&B group from the 60s. Uh, they had a record called Hand Clapping, Foot Stomping, Funky Butt Live. <laughs> and Hipsters, flipst- <laughs> Hipsters, Flipsters, Finger Popping Daddies. A couple of very live and very excellent performances uh, that Anna brought to light. She also uh, gave a special mention to Sam Cooke's live album uh, at Harlem Square Club, which... Uh, it has an unbelievable version of Bring It On Home on it in particular. Our previous guest, Vicky Henry, pulled up only one, really, and that was, and it's a category we've not really covered, I guess, but it was the Woodstock Live, the original. Woodstock Live, obviously not the rapey 90s <laughs> biscuit Woodstock. Swing love, sweet coming to but uh, the original Woodstock Live album, which is sort of a, it's one day, or sorry, one event, but a kind of compilation of the highlights of that yeah. event. Uh, John Ross, who's a guy, it's a big influence on me in music, but John picked out a really interesting one in a category we've not really given a lot of representation to, which is the Bothy Bands album, After Hours, from 1978. The Bothy Band were an incredibly influential Irish traditional folk band instrumentally at the top of their game and hugely influential even on kind of contemporary folk now Uh, and weirdly enough that Irish kind of folk album was recorded live in Paris it's a very 
I mean, it's called After Hours and it has that vibe to mm-hmm. it. It feels like a lock-in. It, it's got a trippiness. I kind of, if you can imagine folk being noirish, it's noirish. It's haunting and sort of something like it's a, there's something a bit misty about it. It's a really, really interesting album, actually. Uh, not one I expected to like, but I was really impressed with that. Uh, and Rick Bruce, who's a guy that I've mentioned many times in this podcast, because uh, Rick's sent me a lot of good records he obviously picked out Ramones It's Alive which he, he pointed out was all killer uh, Motorhead's No Sleep Till Hammersmith which is possibly their best record as we said he mentioned Scorpions the Scorpions mm-hmm. and their Tokyo tapes which is a really, really highly regarded live performance. Dave, he agreed with you. ACDC's If You Want Blood, uh, live at the Apollo. Um, And Rick controversially picked out one that I have to say I kind of get where he's coming from. A series of concerts by the band Mayhem, uh, including the shows in Leipzig and Zeitz, which had Dead on vocals and are just pure chaotic crust metal. Yeah. Ugly as fuck totally unrefined uh, it's like drinking moonshine mm-hmm. yeah you know, it was just, pure black metal and that series of albums captures that band debatably before they beam, became hugely problematic but certainly when they were the most poignant I think they were ever going to get um, we spoke about this a lot in the black metal episode but I, I understand why folk are hugely excited about them at that stage in their career uh, even if I don't get it necessarily later on uh, another um, one that was mentioned to me was uh, The Last Waltz by the band like an unbelievable lineup of guests that and that was it was also a Martin Scorsese directed concert film but it was yes, the it was. band's last ever show but it had the likes of Dr. John, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Van Morrison, uh, you know, Ringo Starr, Muddy Waters, Neil Young all came and like played along. So it's uh it's the the movie is amazing, but there's a four C D box set of the concert because <laughs> <laughs> it lasted it's, about it's a, five hours. It's a bit like that um Roy Orbison show that we've mm. spoken about in the past, yeah. Black and White, where he had Tom Waits and Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty and stuff in the backing band. It's one of those celebrity packed essential kind of events um, before we dig into your choices did you guys have any that didn't quite make the cut but you were considering there's a Descendants one I thought you might have picked Mark that's, that's quite high yeah Ivage Is, that's a really good album it's got the song All on it which is obviously where the band came off lots of really cool very early Descendant stuff um, I almost went for 23 Life Sex Acts by Against, against Me The way that you show this that's like a sort of taking over a whole tour um, and it's quite interesting because it's actually got some like proper live moments on it like where there's, there's one point where they stop a song in the middle because uh, security guard's kicking somebody out and uh, Laura gets in a fight with security guard on stage uh, and then they just bin the song and start the next one so there's, there's a lot of really <laughs> cool things that happen in it that's the real shit uh, so it's got this feel of being live even though it's taking over the course of like the whole tour uh, the the Bruce Springsteen one I mentioned almost as well. Um, one night alone is a three disc box set by Prince that I almost picked, but it's so fucking unwieldy that I didn't pick it. Um, and it's from the like the early two thousands, so it's got some of his pure rubbish, fucking like late nineties, early two thousand stuff, which is just not really even mm-hmm. on par with any of his even his good nineties stuff. And the Rage album I mentioned as well, almost picked that, but but didn't. It's a band at the peak of their powers. So who literally broke up right after it um, and it actually has a, there's a bonus track which is uh, How I Could Just Kill A Man which is taken from the night after um, and it's got Cy- Cypress so Hill on it Oh 
which is also uh, awesome. And those were the ones that immediately immediately sprung in my mind. A lot of the bands that I love haven't really done live records, and are really great live. And um, but I can tell, I can certainly see you know a lot of people probably feel insecure about doing a live album, which is I guess why a lot of people don't do them anymore. It's it's a very rare thing for bands unless they're huge and they need they need to fill like a gap and like a release schedule or whatever. And um, a lot of smaller bands tend there, to not do it. There is no denying that live isn't necessarily what live used to be anyway. I mean, even in the Marilyn Manson record, we'll talk about the, the prevalence of backing tracks. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just a, an inescapable part of so much live music now that, yeah, I mean, time, times have changed. I'm not, I'm not going to be too boomerish about it, but there's definitely a, a shift where some of these bands were such exceptional live bands that, that honed their craft before they broke through, whereas a lot of the bands now are learning on the hoof mm-hmm. after they've been kind of, you know, Broken, mm-hmm. hey, this band's broken. They need to learn to play live, and I've seen it, I've seen it firsthand, where a band has incredible pressure on it to learn to play live because it's just exploded. And we've we've covered bands, and we've chosen albums by bands that didn't have their live shit together whatsoever. And like Franz Ferdinand, you know, absolutely huge. Had played, I think they played four parties when they got signed. So I mean, that kind of phenomenon is very. Maybe it's not very modern, but certainly those kind of bands aren't going to record world-shaking live albums way more, Mm. either. What about you, Dave? Was there any that you were really thinking about? Uh, Well, a couple of my favourite bands have released live albums that I don't really listen to them often, but do you know what? Sometimes it's nice to, if you're sitting at home, get a glass of wine and stick it on. And Live at the Scala by Cult of Luna gets Cult of Luna kind of at the peak of their powers. work out if it was recorded in 2008 because that they did a, a filmed concert of them but it only ended up getting released last year um, yeah. but it's got a lot of stuff off their, their first five records and it, it is brilliant and then you've got Mashuga have actually released two, they've got Alive and the Ophidian Trek Man, yeah, they're both from the same city in Sweden, funnily enough. But, uh, I mean, another one I was thinking about was uh, Domkirk by Sun. Which was um, recorded in Bergen Cathedral in Norway. Mm-hmm. Uh, as part of like this big multicultural festival and it is pretty good the fact that it's recorded in a cathedral you can really, if you stick it on big speakers you get fucking unbelievable reverb, but you know even even Sun Records I'm not sure about overall, just go and see them live It nothing compares to seeing or fe- you know that feeling of uh, <laughs> the, the frequency hitting your gut so I, I don't even know if Live albums or just recorded albums by Sun can even reach. They are, yeah, they f- they kind of fall between the cushions of that thing that we were talking about earlier on. Mm. Where they're, they're kind of experimental noise versus metal, and I think it's very hard to imagine a Sun record being multi-tracked yeah. necessarily. Mm. Like you know, when when does this change? <laughs> oh, in about eight and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> when do I bring in the triangle? Yeah, when's the third note? <laughs> <laughs> I can't really see how that would work. So yeah, I mean they're they're a band that seem kind of intuitively to lend themselves to that. By the way, I just realised it's just a glaring omission on our part that we didn't uh, mention during the studio albums. Studio albums technically is S and M. I almost oh mentioned God. that. Almost mentioned that because <laughs> it was completely. I mean, it's not a studio. It's all completely live. Like it was recorded in. That, yeah. That no, but what I mean is, like it's li- it's yeah, it's live, but it's set up to be recorded. Yeah. Bes-
it's like an unplugged session. It's like a bespoke live yeah. event, fully set up for that purpose. It's not a live concert that happens to have been captured. It's a thing that is purpose built. Um, well, I mean, what the fuck is it all about? Let's be honest. <laughs> want to be Kiss, right? Because Kiss did the same thing. Did, not? did Kiss not record an orchestra at some point? There's a few bands that have done orchestral things. It's just uh, the flexing of the muscles totally, of man. the uh, bloated metal band. Big flex, and it's pure turgid as fuck. <laughs> Kiss don't have the muscles to flex. Kiss photoshopped the muscles on later <laughs> on, as we've already established. Um, I mean, for me, there was a few we missed out. There's bands that we've covered in the show before. Cable have got a great EP called Live at Brixton Prison, which is a kind of fun nod to Johnny Cash. Libby Melnick stuff is all live because it has to be, as we've discussed, to the point where he has to keep the mistakes in because he can't redo it. Hey, Glasgow band Cosmic Dead pretty much all of their catalogue is either totally live or majority live just because of the way that band plays it's very groove led somewhere between like sun and stoner rock The desert sessions where we're talking about stone yeah. rock stuff, a lot of that is improvised. Mm. It's a bunch of people in a room. They cut out the best chunks, and then actually, what happens is they then go on to do studio or full studio versions of the better parts of that. Of bands that I personally enjoy, uh, I would say uh, 80s Matchbox have a very good live record called uh, Live in the Arena of the Unwell. wasn't released in its own right in it exactly it was this sort of it was a full bonus album that came with the in the garden ep uh, but it's got loads of unreleased stuff or at least very rare stuff b-sides and stuff that are done live it's a great record for kind of completists of that band um shellac i've got a brilliant bootleg uh going back to the kind of subject of bootlegs like dylan and nirvana called live in tokyo which is a, just a tremendous snapshot of the band Shellac are so effortlessly good live whether you like their stuff or not is a different matter but they are so fucking good uh, this record uh, Live in Tokyo was released only on Nux NUX which is like a record label from Japan run by a guy called KK Null who plays in Zenigeva. Yeah, I think the bootleg exists over here whereas you can get it officially in Japan but it's tremendous it's got some really good stuff in it the two the last two I would mention are Lightning Bolts Hyper Magic Mountain fucking great record That's a fantastic record, funnily enough I was listening to it yesterday, first time in years Here's the thing, that deserves Absolutely special kudos Because that was recorded onto two tracks Two lines in (laughs) Straight straight onto That master tape as well The drums sound amazing on that record That is about as Honest a live version As you can get and It's 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 pure lightning bolt Um, Even the ethos of that, the whole concept of doing that It's just what that band are all about You can practically smell them Absolutely (laughs) Um, And I think the one I came closest to picking Is Show by Jesus Lizard Right, show is fucking unbelievably good. The reason I didn't pick it is because, I mean, if the world ends before we do a Jesus Lizard episode, that'll be the last thing I'm doing as the bombs explode, <laughs> right? Because 
I have to pick Jesus Lizard so I'm not having them taken up by winning effortlessly with how brilliant show is just go and watch it or listen to it there's loads of videos of the show uh, performance online but it is just they are such an incredibly good band they are the motorhead of like 90s alternative performances they are just fucking brilliant and that that album is superb and the only reason I didn't recommend it is because we are definitely coming back to Jesus Lizard so and they kind of go in twice Um, but yeah All right, okay, right, right, okay, we get it, we get it. Guess what? I guess we're going to have an auto part here because we've just discussed the shit of what a live album is and some of our favourites, and then I think it's probably a good time to draw like a natural line under all of this and say you can actually hear us talking about our choices next week. So, yeah, I know we keep doing this, and, yeah, we should probably plan better or whatever, but we're fucking stuck with it. Um, but if you want to hear what's coming next, if you want to hear part two of this episode... Why don't you sign up to our Patreon? I know, like, we kind of spoke about it back at the start of the episode, but honestly, you'll get both episodes at roughly the same time. Maybe not on the same day, but, you know, in a much shorter window. Um, So if you want to hear part two, hit up our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash unsung. And we'll see you next week to talk a little bit about our three choices.